It's the How Games Make Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Grubb from GameSpeed.com. This is the show where I talk to people working in and around games and ask them, how does this business work? I took July 4th off because that's how this business works for me, anyhow, is I'm going to take some time off when it happens. Uh, but we're back with another new episode. I have a conversation with Stuart Morton, who is the publishing director of indie publisher The Irregular Corporation. This publisher focuses on producing simulation and tycoon-style games, That includes PC Building Simulator and Balsa Model Flight Sim from some of the creators of Kerbal Space Program. Morton and I talk about how important it is to find a game that is easy to share as a GIF on Twitter. He also provides thoughts on the difficulties of working within the tools that platforms like Steam and the Nintendo eShop provide. We'll get to all of that and more, but first, thank you for listening. You can get more from me at GameSpeed.com. Email the podcast at jeff.grub at gmail.com with the subject line, How Games Make Money. Uh, or reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Grubb. The podcast is at HGMM Show. Okay, let's get to the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks to Morton for joining me. And let's do this. All right, let's do this. Joining me now is Stuart Morton. Hey, everyone. All right, so... uh yeah, so Stuart, you're from the Irregular Corporation. Uh, why don't we just start right from the beginning? How does the Irregular Corporation work as a business? Yeah, so uh, the Irregular Corporation is a traditional indie publisher. Uh, so we are kind of set up to help developers basically improve their games and bring them to market to as many people as possible, basically, um, using our expertise in both development and publishing to achieve that. Traditional indie publishing, this is a space that seems like it's getting uh, more and more crowded. Um, are, are you guys feeling that? Is that something that, that you guys think about? Or is it mostly just, you know, business as usual for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we think about. I mean, there is a lot, there is definitely a lot more competition now on the publishing side, but I think we're still in a position where there are more games than there are publishers. So it doesn't really impact us too much. And, uh, the regular corporation has a fairly, fairly tight focus on the type of games that we ultimately publish. We kind of focus around kind of simulation, tycoon management strategy games as kind of a core focus for us. So, uh, that helps us, you know, kind of really kind of laser in on exactly what we're interested in. And there's, plenty of games to go around ultimately do you think it's important that you guys have that that tight focus yeah i think it is you know we're we're in the business of trying to as a publisher trying to build kind of long-term partnerships with developers around you know these genres that are traditionally kind of longer term you know these are the kind of games that people play for 10 20 100 thousands of hours in some cases so for us you know we're by focusing on that, it gives us a lot of opportunity to help kind of cross promote between those genres quite nicely. So I think it's always good to have a focus for many reasons. You know, that means our fans know you know know what we're about and what kind of games to expect from us, and it helps us kind of build a a core audience that loves what we do. Yeah, is, is there is there like a scene around the kind of kinds of games you guys are, are, are releasing, both on the the development side and the fan side? Yeah, I think I think there is on on both. Um, Probably no more than there are on other games, but you know, there's certainly there's a there's a lot of passion around the kind of the kind of genres that we that we work within. You know, simulation in particular. You know, people that make simulation games often really really love whatever the subject matter is for that game, mm-hmm. and there's kind of really big. You know, even communities outside of games that love that. Um, you know, PC building simulator is a great example of that, right? You know, it's everyone 
that has a PC that was playing PC games, well, not everyone, but you know, a vast majority of these people probably built their own PC or are very interested in PCs in general on the hardware side of it. So when you make a, ba- a game about that, you, know, you, you capture both the game side of it and the hardware enthusiast side of it, which makes it much yeah, appealing for two completely different audiences. So, uh, with like PC building simulator, it seems like it was uh, you know one of the uh, breakout successes for you for you all. Uh, tell me about that. What was the process of like getting that game you know signed and then putting it out there and then finding an audience for it? Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I don't think it it has been a great success um, and continues to be. So, um, I don't think we ever really kind of knew when it launched quite how big of a success uh, it would be. I mean, you know, when you tell someone you're making a game about building PCs. The first uh, first reaction to most people is to laugh because I think you're just making kind of a, a wacky simulation game that uh, we are throwing PC parts into a case or something, and it's just good for a laugh. Um, but when you actually, you know, when we you know we work quite hard to make sure it's as kind of authentic as possible to kind of get away from that and try and make it, I guess, partly educational as well. We can within the confines of a game. Um, so when we first came across it, you know, there was a, a very early kind of prototype demo out on the internet that we, we came across as a publisher. So we reached out to the developer to see if they wanted some support, you know, the kind of usual publisher story on that front. Um, they did, thankfully. And then we began to work closely with them to kind of develop it into, you know, a, full, a full-fledged game um, that we see today, ultimately. And, you know, we worked very closely with hardware manufacturers to make sure, you know, to get them on board. You know, so we've got all fully licensed parts and that kind of helped build into, you know, the success that it had when it launched into Early Access a couple of years ago. And it's just continued to grow and grow and grow from that point onwards, um, which is obviously great. We're starting to see, particularly in the current climate, like a lot of educational establishments coming come to us and, you know, wanting to use it. You know, to help teach people how to build PCs when you know, they can't get people in the classroom, etc. at the moment. I knew PC Building Simulator, but I didn't know about PC Building Simulator Education Edition. Has that been something that kind of just like sprung out of a uh, a need that, that you and the developer didn't even know about? Yeah, I mean, we, we fairly quickly after we launched it started getting almost daily um, requests from schools to, you know, this is great. You know, we can't, it's really hard for us to get actual hardware in the classroom and get people to build PCs, you know, keeping hardware you know, working in a classroom sounds like it's quite a hard task. Um, so they immediately saw it as a great way of being able to get it on front of a PC and get people learning how to build PCs uh, easily. Um, so, yeah, we were, you know, we, we wanted to support it as much as we could um, from early on. Obviously, it was a, you know, there's a lot of work in getting uh, a version that you can get together and into into schools that you know can't use Steam, etc. Um, so there's some restrictions we had to work around. But we've been slowly building on that over the last couple of years, and now we, we do have a system in place um, that we can you know, help get these copies into people directly via our website um, into schools. And that is something that we've been kind of trying to focus on, especially this year. Um, just to try and grow that as much as possible and get it into as many schools as we can because it's an amazingly interesting area for games. I think more games you can get into classrooms to help teach people, uh, children in particular, I think is definitely worth pursuing. For, for like something like PC Building Simulator, you talked about getting license agreements with the, uh, the actual PC component manufacturers. What is that? What are those conversations like? What, are those like really complicated deals to put together, or are most companies like, yeah, this is this sounds like fun? 
Uh, a mixture of all of them. Uh, some some are easier than others, um, but sometimes they can take months, months and months. I think um, it took best part of a year in a couple of cases. Uh, I won't I won't name them, um, but you know they are long. You know, yeah, it's a legal process at the end of the day with licensing. So sometimes it can take it can take a long time. But you know, I think process can take a long time. But the kind of selling them on why they should be involved in the game is a fairly yeah fairly straightforward one. You know, it's immediately obvious to hardware manufacturers why it's good for them to be in a game like PC Building Simulator because it gets you know it gets their hardware in front of the people that are going to be buying it basically. When I think about it and I think like it could get complicated, I'm like, oh, is, is it even worth it? But I mean, when it ends up in the game, it, it, it must be worth it. It does add uh, a certain something to the game overall. Is that what you found? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we didn't, we probably didn't know right at the beginning if it would, we, we believed that it, it would make a massive difference. We didn't think anyone would want a uh, game about PC building that just had made up part names in it. Um, that seemed like a a shame if we had to go down that route. Uh, we were prepared to do it if we couldn't get the licensing deals in place. Um, but thankfully, through a lot of hard work and uh, persistence, we managed to get enough yeah, of the kind of major manufacturers together for our early access launch, and it's just continued to grow from that point onwards. And I think you know players love it, you know. But sub double edged sword, you you try and get as many parts in as you can, but there's always you know, always hundreds more requests for people to add their favourite part because everyone has their favourite manufacturer and parts and they all want to build their exact home PC, for example. So if they're missing one bit, then it's like, that must be the next bit you add to the game. So how are you finding these games now? Um, I guess, you know what, tell me how you found games before uh, the world changed with COVID-19 and, and how has it changed since? Um, I don't think it's changed hugely for us, um, thankfully. Um, the Irregular Corporation as a company, um, we were already, already a completely remote-based company before this all started. So it's business as usual for us on that point, without the exception of you know, going to shows and you know, speaking to developers in person. We were you know, kind of well set up to have remote-based meetings with people all the time. So thankfully, it was kind of low impact on the business front for us, the whole COVID situation, which is great. Um, so it hasn't changed a huge amount. You know, we have people actively, you know, scouring the internet, looking for potential interesting new titles for us to kind of reach out and see if, you know, they might be interested in publishing support. And, you know, people come to us still, um, you know, now, you know, we've had a few releases out and we're, you know, it's becoming more of a, a known publisher in this space and we're getting more people come to us and asking for help, which is, yeah, great to see our reputation is uh, starting to spread. Yeah, is that something you guys that you've found more where um, you know people are like, "Hey, I, I am making a simulation game," and when I go to look for simulation games, this you know this publisher keeps coming up. That has started to snowball for you. Yeah, I think it has, and I think that's exactly what we wanted. You know, that is one of the key. Again, going back to what our focus is as a publisher, the benefits from that is that you're you begin to get known for kind of quality games in those spaces. Um, so it's good to see that starting to pay off already. So, uh, you know, I think your, your your title is publishing director, I think. And what does that job entail? Like, what, what is your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, as a publishing director, um, what it entails day-to-day -day is <laughs> can vary uh, very much from day-to-day. -day. Um, but ultimately, I'm kind of responsible for looking after kind of our whole catalog games that we're publishing kind of end-to-end. -end. So, um, you know, I get involved in uh, the kind of the beginning processes of, you know, looking at what titles we're going to sign. Sometimes that means we get involved, you know, speaking to developers directly to help kind of negotiate, uh, you know, 
that, that deal with them to kind of get them to work with us. And then kind of more, I guess, more kind of regular day-to-day is kind of looking after uh, the team, uh, the team of producers uh, on the regular corporations and who are responsible for kind of managing each of the games and developers day-to-day and kind of overseeing the publishing side of the business as a whole which extended to everything from sticking my nose into, you know, marketing and production and every kind of aspect that uh, the company is involved in. So where the company is at today, where where do you um, hope to grow the publishing business in the future? Is it about, uh, you know, more and bigger games? Is it about um, spreading to new platforms? What's the plan? Yeah, a bit of all of those. I think, you know, we obviously want more games, but we're, we're, not, we're not looking for too many games if that makes sense you know we are we, you know we're trying to focus on quality over quantity where at all possible so um you know we, we really we strongly believe that the kind of service that we offer developers um from a develop you know us being from a development background ourselves that yeah we want to get a kind of as hands-on as developers allow us to to help you know shape you know help make that game as good as possible so it means we can't take on loads and loads of games because we can't yeah, we want to make sure we're giving the right time to all of those titles. So um, we'll be expanding to more platforms. You know, we've already had you know, PC Building Simulator was released on console last year. We'll have more of our games over con- the console platforms over the coming years for sure. We, you know, we're not going to be PC only uh, in the future for sure. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be interested in publishing games on any of the new platforms that are coming out as well. So when you are looking for a game, uh, what is it that you're looking for? Are you guys, um, is it about like, oh, something that looks really good in a GIF? Is it, is it something with a standout art style? Um, is, can it be something that looks plain but like has just an amazing gameplay hook? What are you looking for? I mean, uh, an interesting GIF is always a good start for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, funnily enough, you know, a lot of the time, you know, spending a lot of time on places like Twitter myself, you know, mm-hmm. at, at an interesting GIF is the, when, one of the main things that will catch my eye and start me, you know, start me off on the trail of kind of digging into what the game is um, to see if it might be of interest to us. So that is one of the biggest points for me when I'm looking, you know, to keep my eyes out for uh, potential new games for sure. Um, but it is a mixture of things. I think for us, there's a lot of value in um, games that almost have extra interest outside of the pure games. So as I said before, you know, games that, uh, you know, things like PC building or flight simulation mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, those kinds of games that have a real world application or a hobby attached to them are really interesting to us as a publisher. Um, that's where we can really see kind of a good good coverage of users outside, you know, in games and outside of games that we can hopefully reach with those titles. So any games that have that kind of capacity are of particular interest to us. Um, outside of that, you know, it is... It's strange what can catch your eye, really, and what what kicks you off and down the path of finding a game that you ultimately end up publishing. Um, interesting gifts, videos, always a good place to start. Um, I think if you've got that and you can see people getting excited by it on social media, then that's you know I think you're already on. You know, you've already got a really great idea of if that game has got any kind of potential. Once you bring a game in, and you, you know, or, you know, even when you're you know having that conversation with a developer and saying, "Hey, we would like you to come be a uh, part of our our publishing efforts here," what is that conversation like? What are you um, saying to developers that you can provide to them uh, that they might need? Yeah, as much. You know, I mean, the, the the pitch, so to speak, is very much kind of as 
as much or as little help as they ultimately want. Everybody developer wants mm. something different from a publisher. You know, some just want some money to help them finish the game. Some, well, most of them want marketing support. That is kind of the number one thing that um, most developers want a publisher for, which is fair enough. Um, and you know, there's elements of what we do as a publisher that um, developers might not. I might not know they need uh, until much later on in the project's life cycle. But, you know, we have a wealth of kind of development experience as a company. You know, most of the team have been, you know, even making or publishing games for over 10 years each, like each of us. Um, So there's a lot of experience that we can help leverage if developers want it to help them in all areas from, you know, Production level support, you know, managing their, their schedules and how you know, organizing, uh, helping organize their tasks to make sure that they can keep everything on schedule for design support if they have particularly difficult um, issues to try and resolve and balancing balance their game or design queries to you know, obviously marketing support and community support as well. You kind of helping with their man, helping their community and really helping them kind of, you know, take the load off ultimately. A lot of the time, indie developer teams are quite small you know sometimes there's only one person um so having some extra pair of hands on the publishing side to help look after the community take the load off on the marketing side yeah even help out a little bit on the development side is a huge benefit to a lot of these smaller teams ultimately uh where does the money end up coming from is it that you guys take a cut of the sales that come from platforms yeah, yeah, it's as simple as that. No, it's fairly standard kind of publishing model. Mm-hmm. I don't think has really changed through the ages. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, once the once the game has uh, been on sale and you know is hopefully making everyone loads of money, um, then yeah, mm-hmm. there is a a split uh, of some kind from generally once um, and this is fairly normal, but a lot for most publishers once the publisher has kind of recouped their costs for getting the game to market. Um, then a then kind of a royalty share will be a kick in where you know for every sale publisher gets X amount, developer gets the remaining amount. How are you feeling about the current uh, you know uh, slate of platforms that are available? Uh, uh, you know between Steam and Epic Games, and then uh, you know the console manufacturers, mobile. Uh, how are you? How is the regular corporation feeling about those things as, as services? Yeah, I mean, great. You know, we are kind of PC kind of first at the moment mm-hmm. for a lot of our titles. And then we, you know, we look at placing those games onto other platforms as in kind of whatever we think fits best uh, for those games. And I mean, it's ex- an exciting time in general, you know, next next generation console launches are always an exciting time in, a, in the games industry. So we're keeping a, a very close eye, um, you know, Xbox Series X and PS5 developments to see, you know, what makes sense for us to move certain games to those platforms in the future. And Stadia, you know, of course, is a, an interesting platform for many reasons at the moment. Mm-hmm. So keep me very close eye on what's happening there. Do you find, ever find yourself, uh, you know, when you're trying to win over a developer and say, hey, come to us, uh, that you are competing with other publishers? Yeah, more often than not. I think unless, unless you can, it's fairly rare, unless you can get, you know, in front of a developer really early on, you know, you're the first person to find that game and get in touch with a developer more often than not, there's usually a few people that are chasing them, especially if they've got good traction online, you know, again, going back to the, the fancy gifts that might be on Twitter, you know, if right. it's a good chance that more than one person has seen that and there's a lot of publishers around now. Um, so more often than not, there'll be, you know, quite a few people that are chasing that game. So we have to, have to pitch quite hard uh, what we do and what we can offer them in the hopes to win them round. 
is the conversation there often like, hey, we're, you know, we have some experience in your exact type of game. Uh, is that how you guys try to set yourself apart? Yeah, it is. You know, having having a catalog of titles that kind of work quite nicely with the game that they're making is useful. Um, I think a more important part of that is just um, the people that work for the company. You know, I think, you know, a lot of the time developers, you know, they get a good sense of, um, you know, basically the type of people that they're potentially working with. So I think if they get along, if they get along with those people and think, and believe they can trust in them and what they do, then I think that's generally how you kind of win them over ultimately you know how you treat them and how what kind of feeling they get off you is often a big part of what will sway them outside of you know we're going to give you more money than the other person might do uh do you feel like you have to be up on um all of the latest marketing tricks for like each individual platform um you know like whatever it takes to get ahead on steam whatever that is i feel like no one really knows and then uh, or, <laughs> yeah. or like or like on the eShop where like uh, a lot of developers have started doing the thing where they, you know, drop the game down to, to 10 cents for like a week and then it moves up the charts and then they move the price back up and it seems to like make up for it in the end, uh, which, you know, I, I know you guys don't have a ton of stuff on console, but you think you have one or two games maybe on eShop. Uh, is, is that stuff that you guys actively think about? Um, I mean, we are aware of it as a joy of one eye. You know, we keep a close eye on, uh, you know, the things that various people are doing to try and get ahead in those markets. Um I think there's a limit to what we would do, you know, you know, dropping the price of a game down to, you know, next to nothing just to get up the charts. I don't think is beneficial really to the game that you're doing it with. Um, right. For the sake of making, you know, a few extra bucks, essentially. Um, it's just to get up the charts. Isn't, doesn't, it's not something that hugely appeals to us. Uh, and our developers as well, you know, unless you know, a developer really feels strongly about doing something like that, then we, you know, we might consider it. But generally we like to, I guess, <laughs> play by the rules seems like the wrong way of uh, kind of <laughs> right. explaining it. But, you know, there, there are, you know, try and keep playing by the rules. Let's just call it that, I guess. The reason I bring it up is, you know, at first you see a lot of uh, really um, smaller teams doing it uh, with games that I didn't recognize. And then uh, more recently, I've seen more and more games where I'm like, I know that game. And now that's, you know, it's selling for uh, uh, 99 cents on there. And, you know, normally it's like a $20 game or whatever. And, and so just it's, it just seems like the kind of thing where it's like more and more people are trying it because it's like it is the thing that works. Yeah, now. I, mean, uh, I mean, it depends what, what time that kind of during the products like the game's life cycle really it makes sure. sense right you know if it's been out a year or or you know 18 months or even two years then doing that isn't really much of a risk to it um but i think there is a there's a strong value proposition around games where you know mm -hmm. you know we you know we haven't dropped a good example of this is pc building simulator has been out for two just over two years now um you know, for early access and you know post launch over the last year and you know, we haven't discounted that game above 33% in, in two years. And, you know, that has paid off hugely. You know, there's a kind of, it's not, people don't see it and go, oh, yeah, that's a three-pound game. Like, you know, that's mm -hmm. that's always right. on sale for next to nothing. So is it even worth getting? I think, you know, if there's a, if you're seen to not drop the prices um, and just sell it for nothing just to get people to buy it, then I think there is this huge value in that. And, you know, Games should get, you know, games, you know, people should make the money off the games that they've kind of sweated for and put blood into kind of thing. To, <laughs> you know, the, the, there's no, there's no reason to race down to a low price just to sell a few more copies of the game. I don't think, um, you, there's other, there's other ways of increasing sales of your games, um, that will have a much larger benefit to it in the long term. Yeah. 
there's marketing efforts you can do. You can paid advertising, etc., things like that that are cost effective to do to get sale, good sales um, without the need to kind of just slash the price just to get you know as many copies sold as you can. Right. And, you know, when I when I think about it, it's like okay, the, the eShop doesn't have a lot of um, great ways to find games that no. aren't on like one of the featured slots. And and I wonder like the reason you don't see this on something like Steam is because maybe the, a lot of those uh, things where it's like. Oh, the algorithm is going to put this game in front of a, a lot of people, even if the game has been out for two years, which is not, you know, almost it's that that, that doesn't happen on the eShop, but it could happen on Steam. Uh, are those tools that, you know, Valve has built for Steam working then? Because it's like putting still putting PC building simulator out in front of people that might still be interested. Yeah, I mean, who knows how the algorithm really works on, on right. Steam? Like it's a bit of a kind of <laughs> mystery box of, uh, of things that are going on behind the scenes. But, you know, it comes down to, uh, I guess, a few key things, you know, having. Having lots of people, you know, like your game, so you know people are buying it, leaving good reviews. You know the amount, you know, the amount of people doing that will help uh, surface the game more, obviously, on Steam. So, and that all comes down to how you kind of how you manage that game and you know, how you perceive it to two players. And I said keeping it value. You know, we regularly update it with free content all the time, so it's continually being updated for free. So people getting extras, extra parts, and things like that in the game. So all of that kind of builds into a much longer tail kind of success for the game. Um, which, yeah, I think is. I mean, it's not possible for every game, for sure. Um, but particularly the type of games that we work on as a publisher, that it's much easier for us to do that and build these games into kind of much longer term. Uh, games for people to enjoy for as long as possible. Um, and I think, you know, you, you kind of have to work with the tools that you've got on these platforms. As you say, you know, right. the eShop has a limit to what you can do and how you can get how you can get your game in front of people. So unless you've got good contacts at platform holders, um, you know, which you know, we do, which is great. So we have some ability to, you know, chat to Nintendo or chat to Microsoft or Sony and talk to them about how we can promote, you know, titles that we are publishing in a better way. Um, sometimes the only tool you have, you know, if you're an individual developer that's kind of self-publishing is to get your game seen, is to go down those routes and I don't begrudge anyone for using the tools available at their disposal for this kind of thing at all. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. No, no problem. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Cool. Well, yeah, once again, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, a really good episode this week. We'll be back with another one next week. Until then, have a good one and goodbye. Goodbye.